This is day 206 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Acts chapters 5 through 9. Lord God, as we enter into your word today, show us your truth. Show us what these men of the first church did, because this is what you want us to do. You want us to purge the evil that's within this church. You want us to be of one mind and one spirit for the gospel. You want us to fellowship together and have all things in common. Lord, you want us to be trained and equipped to go into a dangerous world. Lord, show us how to do this. Show us where the problems are within our own churches and within ourselves. And that if there's anything lacking, Lord, that you would provide what is lacking. And that we trust that you are able to provide. Lord, please bless the reading of your word. May you anoint our minds and our hearts to receive it with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself, with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and carried him out, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church, and over all who heard of these things. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. And none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more, Believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed.
But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we had opened it up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took 
his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom you may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives, and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, 
he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they would be in bondage, I myself would judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan, and a great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb, which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our people, so that they would expose their infants, and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power, in word and deed. But when he was approaching the age of forty, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. 
After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning thornbush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer, with the help of an angel who appeared to him in the thornbush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness, together with the angel, who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, and who was with our fathers. And he received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us, for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Rompha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit 
you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you do not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen, as he called on the Lord, and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them 
that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road which descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will reweigh? Reweigh? Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, 
the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength 
and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Now as Peter was traveling through all these regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lida and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she constantly did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Okay, we see some amazing stuff happening today as the first church is rolling into action here. 
So let's briefly describe what was going on, see if we have a proper understanding. So beginning in chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife. And so they sold some property, apparently, and they kept some of the money for themselves without disclosing it to anybody. So the thing we have to understand from this is that it says in verse 3 that, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So it appears that Satan filled or controlled the heart of this man at this time. So we see from the very beginning Satan trying to infiltrate the church. There are many times that, even in today's world, we see people trying to infiltrate the church, appearing as sheep, but they are really wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus described that to us and gave us warnings about that. But he caught them in the act because, his, because Peter was so attuned with the Holy Spirit, he could see right through them. He knew exactly what they were doing, and he knew things that he normally would not have known because God revealed it to him. So I think there's something to be said about this. The main point of all this is not the fact that Ananias and Sapphira sold some property. That's not the problem. And the focal point of all this is not that they kept some of the money for themselves, really. But the real problem is that they lied. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. And so that is the real problem. The dishonesty of how much money you actually are presenting to the apostles is wrong. Don't mistake me for what I'm saying, but it's the lying. It's the intention of the heart, especially to the Spirit of God, that was the ultimate offense. It was so important that the church remained pure, that the Lord allowed these two people to die in their lies. And so it brought fear into the church. And this is a proper fear. Because we need people to understand that the Word of God cannot be thwarted, and you don't mess around with these things. So unfortunately, God is not as serious today as he used to be, because he's setting an example here for us. But we have people who infiltrate the church all the time and lie. Now, most often they are not very active in the church, and in some cases they make themselves very obvious where they stand, but there are those that blend in very well, and yet they secretly are agents of Satan. So, in other words, what I'm getting at is the beginning of chapter 5 is describing how the purging of evil from the church is so important. We need to be purging from within. And if we as a body of believers catch on that someone within our midst is actively sinning or leading people astray, that person needs to be addressed without delay. You cannot let that go and fester, because that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to seep a deeper poison into the church. So definitely, you see that happening within your church, something needs to be done. It may not have to be you that does it, but you need to address it with the leadership of your church. Then we see the second half of chapter 5, how the apostles were preaching the word of God, and they were thrown into prison. And they didn't stay in prison. 
they didn't stay there because an angel released them from prison and they kept doing what they were doing. And so it surprised the guys that they went to take them out of prison and question them and they weren't there. And somebody said, hey, they're in the temple preaching. And so they went to these men, Peter and the apostles, and they asked him, what are you doing? We ordered you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. And what did they say? We must obey God rather than man. That's a very profound thought. There's going to be a conflict at times between what God instructs us to do and what the world expects from us. We are told throughout the New Testament that we are to be in subject to our governing authorities. Yes. But if there happens to be a conflict between God and man, God is the one we observe, regardless of consequence. When it comes down to making a decision, who do I listen to, it should be a no-brainer for us. We listen to God every time, regardless of consequences. If you're worried, well, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose my job. They're going to beat me up. They're going to persecute me. Good. God will reward you. Trust that he'll take care of you. All he wants is for you to obey him, and he'll take care of the rest. It sounds easier said than done, right? But that's exactly what he wants us to do. Then we see a man named Gamaliel. Now, he's an important individual. We don't know this yet, but later on, we're going to find out that Gamaliel is actually the one who taught the Apostle Paul how to be a Pharisee. So he was a very well-respected person within the community. He was a very prominent individual and was likely one of the members of the Sanhedrin, one of the leadership of the Pharisees. And when he said this wise statement, they listened to him. And so he made a very good point, saying that, yeah, we had these situations in the past come up, and these things happened, and they ended up fizzling out because they were human efforts. But if this is a human effort that these men are doing, it's going to fizzle itself out. So you guys have nothing to worry about. Leave them alone. But however, if this is from God, you will not be able to stop them. So let them do what they're doing, and we'll see the results of it. Let's see the fruit of what comes out of this. And they listen to him. Now this part might seem strange to some of us, but this is a very good lesson for us to learn. Verse 41 says that they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. There is something very profound about that. When God puts responsibility on our lap, he wants us to witness to people, he wants us to share Christ with somebody, he wants us to live in godly conduct. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in the name of Christ, persecution will naturally come. That is almost an evidence that you're doing the right thing. I know it sounds strange, but when you are suffering in the name of Christ, you're doing something right. And you should be glad because the Lord has chosen you for a special task and you are completing it as he's told you to do. And in return, 
you're going to be reviled because of the name of Christ. If that happens to you, you should rejoice that you are being effective in your ministry. Haven't we seen by now that everything Jesus did caused contention of some kind? Because he even said that he comes into the world and the world hates him because he is shining light on their evil deeds. And in the same way, when we tell people to repent, we're telling them that they're doing something wrong. We're telling them that the way that they're living is evil. And people hate it when we do that. There is a right way to do this. Don't mistake me. There is a right, loving way to present this information. But we still need to go and tell people that they are sinning and that they need to repent. And if they listen to us, great. That's what we hope for. But most of the time, let's be honest, they're not going to listen. They're going to hate you for what you're saying. You're still doing your job. Let God be responsible for the results. He just wants you to go and say it. So what did these apostles do after they were treated so poorly? They didn't skip a beat. They got up the right next day and kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's our example to follow. we got to be doing the same thing. At the beginning of chapter 6, we see that the church is getting so big that they need to start dividing the duties between the apostles and other people. So the apostles were responsible for being the spiritual leadership of the church, but they weren't necessarily supposed to be the ones that are supposed to serve people and bring food to people's homes and so on and so forth, because there's just so much to do and they need to be the shepherds of the flock. So they assigned men to serve the people. And that word that we see in the Greek is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from. So what we're seeing here at the beginning of chapter 6 is the creation of the first deacons, Stephen being one of them. The word deacon is, in a very literal sense, that of a servant. So that's all they are. They are servants of the church. And a proper deacon is not a leading body in the church. Let's be clear about that. They're supposed to be spiritual leaders, yes, but they are not a ruling body of the church. They are not governing the church. That is not what they're intended for. They are there to serve and address needs in the congregation. Prayer, physical needs, so on and so forth. And then we see Stephen being very bold and vocal about the gospel of Christ. And he's taken to council, and he stands before the council, and he gives an epic sermon. And in summary, he's laying down the foundation for how all the patriarchs listened to God and resulted in wonderful things happening. And in the same way that they rejected Moses, in the same way they rejected the prophets after him, they have rejected Jesus as well. And basically, he calls them hypocrites, because you see at the very end, he says, you are doing just as your fathers did. So he's talking about the privileges that the nation of Israel has had, but yet they have rejected all the things of God over time. And he is blaming them 
for the slaying of Jesus and of the prophets. And so they did not like what he said, and then so they take him out and stone him. And then we see they laid their coats in front of a man named Saul, which we know who he is. He's going to play a very important role here soon. But he is breathing threats, and he is happy that Stephen was killed. There is no doubt that Saul is a very intelligent man, and that he is well-known within the Jewish community. There's no doubt of that. And so it will play to his advantage as he becomes a Christian that he is so well-versed in the things of the Pharisees that he's able to relate with people the hypocrisies and the flaws in the Pharisaic ideologies. And so it's good that he's going to see this here soon. He's going to play a huge role soon. Now, in chapter 8, we see a man named Simon, who is a magician. According to this, he was using dark arts. He was using demonic magic, which magic, like we would see in like a video game or something, some of that is real. But let's be very clear. Magic in the physical world is demonic. There are miracles and there are signs from heaven, yes. But when you talk about black magic and sorcery and things like that, that is demonic. And it is not something you want to mess around with. This man was very much into this magic, and he was so good at it that people thought that it was from God. And those are the worst kind of people, the ones that appear to look godly, but they are not. They are actually demons, or they are possessed by demons, or they are influenced by demons. So often, demons are going to do that intentionally. They are going to look like angels, or they are going to look godly in order to deceive people. But when he saw everything that these disciples were doing, he was amazed by it, and he converted himself. But it wasn't a true conversion, and it was addressed and exposed later on in the chapter. Because he followed Philip after he saw all the miracles. And we think, okay, great, he's converted, right? But that's not the end of his story. When Simon starts seeing that the apostles lay their hands, literally put their hands on somebody, there's a transfer of the Holy Spirit to these people. And he thought, well, I want to do that too. So maybe I can pay them to teach me how to do it. Like it's some sort of trick or technique, right? But time out. Is this what happens today? They were baptized, but they were not receiving the Holy Spirit until the apostles laid their hands on them. Does that still happen today? No. Normally, the Spirit is given at the moment of faith. But in this instance, however, it was imperative that the Samaritans be identified with the apostles and the Jerusalem church so that there would be no rival Samaritan Christian church. That's at least what we can get out of this. It's not that this was a normal practice, because normally when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit joins you and indwells you. So this was unique in the way that they didn't want the Samaritans, because they were separate from Israel, and they were rivals of Israel, they didn't want 
their rivals to think that this is some sort of rival church. So that's why they brought the apostles themselves to lay hands, so that they have that identity with each other, that they are becoming one. Simon didn't quite get that, and so he thought that he could buy the rights in order to do this himself. Whether for his own purposes or for the kingdom of God, what do you think Simon's motivation was when you read what Peter said? He said that Simon was a fool for thinking that he could buy the gift of God. And then Peter urged him to repent. And Simon replied in a way saying that, you pray for me that I can escape punishment. So he was still thinking in terms of magical powers rather than the repentance of heart. As you can see, he was still confused of how all this worked. It was not a legitimate salvation. It was not a legitimate understanding of the Spirit of God. If he had the Holy Spirit within him, he would have known where this power came from. But to the point is that he was not a true believer. In the second half of chapter 8, we see Philip interact with an Ethiopian eunuch who is apparently sitting on the side of the road reading the scroll of Isaiah, which is really cool. And this eunuch is stuck on a particular passage of Scripture and needs help interpreting it. And Philip happens to be right there. He explains it, and the eunuch believes. So they come to a body of water, and the eunuch wants to be baptized. Now in my Bible, verse 37, where it says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, and then they professed Christ, mine's in brackets. So this may not have been in the original writing, but it would make sense as to this is what happened. And I personally, I like this clarification in there, because Philip is saying the truth of how salvation is brought. If you believe with all your heart, you may. That's all that's required for true salvation. Baptism isn't required for your salvation. It is a sign and a demonstration of what you believe, but it does not save you. And what Philip said rings true as to what really saves you, and that's just believing with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's exactly what happened in this bracket. But again, if you don't like it, it still doesn't change the narrative. It just is more of a clarification. And then it says that after he baptized the eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord snatched him up. Almost like he, poof, he disappeared and teleported somewhere else. And it said that he found himself at Azotus. Now this name may seem unfamiliar to us because this is the first time we've seen it in the New Testament. But we would remember it in the Old Testament as being a place called Ashdod. And Ashdod was about 20 miles north of Gaza. So quite literally, Philip did get transported from one point to another several miles away by an angel. So that's pretty cool. And now many of us who have been Christians for a little while probably know the story in chapter 9, that it being a very famous portion of scripture about the conversion of Saul. So he's on the road to Damascus, he sees a bright light, and he sees the Christ, which when he gives his testimony later before kings and governors, he expands upon what he saw from his own mouth. And he saw the Christ. He didn't just see the light, 
he saw Jesus standing in the light. That's why he's an apostle. The apostles are ones that were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so in this same way, that's why Paul later calls himself an apostle, because he literally saw Jesus with his own eyes. And yet he saw him in his full glory, which caused him to be blind. And not not necessarily that the light that he saw blinded him. It may have just been a form of helping him to see the error of his ways and to repent. I don't know. But whatever it did worked. Because when he went to Damascus, he sat blind and did not eat or drink for three days. And so you can imagine that whole time, his mind is just shattered. Everything that he was trained in, everything that he was brought up in, was a lie. He was so deceived all his life as a Pharisee that he was he was so zealous for the Pharisaic way that he thought he was doing everything right and was honoring God the whole time, but he was wrong. He was so wrong in his understanding of things, and I'm sure that was very hard for him to deal with at this time. But this was a good time for him to reflect and really do some soul-searching. Not only that, but trying to piece together the scriptures in order to identify Jesus as the true Christ. I'm sure that's what he was doing during that time. And then when we come to verse 10, we have Ananias. Not the same Ananias that died earlier with the property, obviously. But this is a person who is actually receiving a revelation from Jesus about Saul. What I thought was interesting is you see a lot of these people, just like they did in the Old Testament, where God comes to them, or an angel comes to them and gives them a message, and then they question the message. I guess that's just human nature, and and maybe we would all do that in that situation. I don't know, but if God were to come to me, I would think, in the flesh, and say, hey, Ryan, I've got this and this for you to do. Go and do it. I would just say, yes, Lord, I'm going. I wouldn't say, well, but how am I going to do it? Or, are you sure, Lord? I mean, I wouldn't do that. But even this man, Ananias, is like, Lord, this is Saul we're talking about here. He's got a reputation of killing your Christians. You sure you want to do this? I would not have said that. It's Jesus talking to me. I would be like, Okay, Jesus knows what he's talking about. I'm just going to go and obey. But I, don't know, I guess it's human nature to where we question things so often. The skeptic that's within all of us, I suppose. But he still obeyed. He asked a clarifying question, and he got an answer back from God, and he obeyed, and he prayed, laid his hands on, on Paul, and he became a Christian himself. And immediately... He took food and ate, and then for several days afterward, he was going and proclaiming Christ. He didn't skip a beat. He completely believed everything, and he went and did immediately what God told him to do. And it was freaking people out, and they were already wanting to kill him because he was so effective in what he was doing. So then it ends with sending Saul away, And we'll come back to him in a couple of chapters, but for right now, the book of Acts is going to focus on Peter for a little bit. So Peter goes to a place where there is a woman named Tabitha who died, 
If we recall from the Gospels, Peter was present when Jesus went to the house of Jairus when his daughter passed away, and he revived her. So he had faith that he could do it too. And so in a very similar way, he went to the upper room, prayed for her to stand up, and she got up. She revived. And to our knowledge, this is the first time he ever resurrected someone. So that's pretty cool. But we're not done with Peter. He's got a couple more times that we're going to see some very interesting things in the next couple of chapters before we come back to Saul, who is now going to be called Paul. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.